out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes into all the details of the people, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm blissfully joined by my co-host, Ross. Hey, Mac. Great to be here. We are so excited to talk about a couple of different fun topics today. We're going to talk about people. And by people, I mean, we're going to talk about Zori Bliss, one of our newest characters in the Star Wars universe. We're going to talk about her origin. We're going to talk about the most recent thing we have from her in canon. We're going to talk about the movie she appears in. Yes. And that's it, because that's all we have so far. That's all that but she exists. But one day, there may be more. She's not even a year old yet. We can't talk too much about it, it's her. It's pretty impressive that at least we've gotten this much. But then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about tools that may or may not be people. We're going to talk about astromech droids. We will. We'll talk about uh, are they people? Do they deserve rights? Should they vote? Uh, do uh, they we, deserve social we, security? No. All of those important things. We're going to think strongly about them. We're mostly just going to talk about how cool they are and how <laughs> yeah, they've got fun more, personalities. Probably more likely that, yes. Yeah, we will have to get to that yeah, sometimes. We'll let L3 lead the revolution <laughs> next time. Yes. Um, we need her before we can really get some of those heavy-hitting topics. And then we'll just end up with just things just yeah. chunks of technology yeah. aligned around star wars yeah uh explosives specifically big boomers <laughs> big boomers yeah we're gonna unpack the uh proton torpedo and where it's shown up in star wars what it yeah. may or may not be and why it is such an intrinsic part of yeah. the franchise yeah it's gonna be a blast ah i see what <laughs> you did there all right. Well, until we get to oh, too burned by all these sick burns we're throwing around, let's move into our show right after this. How long has it been like this? First Order took most of the kids a long time ago. Can't stand the cries anymore. I've saved up enough to get out. I'm going to the colonies. How? All those hyperlanes are blocked. That's First Order Captain's medallion. I've never seen a real one. Free passage through any blockade, landing privileges, any vessel. Wanna come with me? I can't walk out on this war. Not till it's over. Maybe it is. We sent out a call for help at the Battle of Crate. Nobody came. Everyone's so afraid. They've given up. No, I don't believe you believe that. Hey. They win by making you think you're alone. Remember? There's more of us. Okay, Mac, should we start at the beginning or should we start at the end? Well, I guess it defines. Do you mean chronologically, like when this person's life began or when we first saw this person? Oh, see, now you're really asking the tough questions. Uh, order okay, of first about, appearance or order? <laughs> let's start out. Should we start order of first appearance or should we start uh, chronological material we have of the let's, character? Okay, let's. I think they are new enough of a character. Let's start with first appearance. Okay, so we're talking about 
Zori Bliss, the character played by Carrie Russell, uh, seen in The Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, so a relatively new character. And the reason she is our main lead-off topic today is because she is also now heavily featured in the book Poe Dameron Freefall that just came out a few weeks ago. Right. So that book, we didn't do any sort of topic or review on it when it came out because we were having some other uh, scheduling issues around that time. <laughs> uh, so we thought today we would throw a topic, but rather than doing like Poe or one of the other smaller things from the book... We thought we would do the character who the book is essentially about, because even though the book has the title of Poe Dameron, and while it is told through his eyes, I would say arguably we get more history about Zori here and more information about mm. her than we do about Poe from the story. So I will point out that while we are going to talk about her appearance in the movie, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, we are also going to talk about her role in this uh, novel. So if you don't want to have that spoiled for you, we're not going to talk about the entire novel, just her parts in it, yeah. but it's pretty critical to the plot of the novel as well. She's a main character in the story. So, you know, just be forewarned that if you want to read that book first or don't want some of the plot points and details spoiled for you, uh, you know, maybe skip ahead to the next topic until you've read that. Yeah. So I'm going to frame it because you've read the book and I have not. Yes. So from my perspective, I mean, the thing about Zori Bliss is cool is our, our favorite friend, uh, Poe Dameron, yeah. kind of in the sequel trilogy, absorbs all the bravado energy of all the characters that could have been from the <laughs> original trilogy. He kind of soaks that in. He's he's the cocky pilot. He's kind of roguish. Mm -hmm. but he's also got the dedicated. He's absolutely 100% for the cause. Mm -hmm. And so when we get to Kajimi, we He's a mix of Han and Leia. He is. In a lot of ways, which is fun. Because we're seeing him on Kajimi and he's he's going, he's here because it's the chance to, you know, save the resistance, put this all back together. This is the chance to stop whatever the heck the First Order's plans are. <laughs> and he gets caught up on this extremely, you know, underworld uh, place and his Han Solo-ness comes out as he gets a gun to his back. And who does it turn out to be? An old friend. Old Flame? Someone who remembers him from his spice running days. He had spice running days? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you nailed it, Mac. That is where we first meet Zori. And uh, she comes out strong with a great first appearance here. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we don't really get to know her all that well in this film. So it's nice that she comes out uh, really strong here. Yeah. As you said, she's got a gun to our character's face. And it's only because our uh, characters, Poe in this case, happens to be friends with a Jedi. Yes. That uh, they're able to kind of get out of the situation. Uh, but this is our first interaction with her. And she's basically saying, hey, give me a reason why I shouldn't just kill you right now here, scum. <laughs> and of course, we have no idea who this person is. This person in this sort of maroon outfit yeah. with these beautiful gold accents. Kind of this like elongated alien-like helmet um, that in completely covers her face. In the long, long tradition of Star Wars, here's a real cool person in a sealed suit so you don't know any details. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of people reference it. It, it reminds of the one artist from uh, Daft Punk's helmet because it's a very like almost a three quarter dome like uh, kind of piece of glass there. Yeah. And then, it, yeah, it stretches into almost like a metal top knot. Yeah. And then, yeah, that gold and that burgundy maroon mm. looks really good rocks. Yes. And her blaster is ridiculous. It looks like a blaster flintlock. It's it's got yeah, class. she's got two of them. They're gorgeous. She's very sleek. 
very fast and stealthy looking. You know, she's got that kind of like almost Tron like appearance to yeah. her. Um, she's got a great Black Series figure. I should point that out while we're talking about her appearance. And what's funny is she's also in the Vintage Collection. Uh, I have both of them. The Vintage Collection version has like this sort of additional. Uh, she's almost got like a skirt or a kilt type of thing, mm. like this extra flap that hangs down in the back, kind of mm. like um, um, just a very small amount, not like down to the knees or anything. Well, just to make her shirt more like a tunic or something like that. It, it definitely looks like it's coming out from under the belt. Oh, okay. now in the movie, I don't think that's there. So I don't know, like in the action figures, there's a difference between her outfits Right. Uh, which is an I don't know anything about why I didn't do any research or anything. Or... Yeah. yeah, could have been like one was like sculpted just sooner. Yeah, like yeah. in production before whatever. Based on but... production photos, yeah. Than the final. Uh, so I have no idea, but I was just looking at the figures this morning before I came down. I thought that was a, and, you and, know, an interesting one. And she's got this good look. And again, the situation gets dispelled by Ray being Ray. And I like the fact that she. You kind of get the idea with. Um, uh, her that she's like looking at this situation and going like, oh, oh, I like these people. Poe, how do you get with these people? They're better than you. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. She's, a- at first, she's like very like, I'm going to kill you, Poe. Right. But then she takes a bit of a liking to Ray. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they have their little moment there. And we kind of get, I mean, the reason this is here is for the audience to know like, hey, this is meant to be a person who you understand like everybody else in the galaxy has their story. Like, yes, this is an antagonist to our heroes at first, but that doesn't mean that she is a villain or a villain in the story or someone we should be afraid of. And that's, I think what that little moment of Ray is meant to kind of tell us is like, Hey, you might not be able to trust her in the long run, but here and now this is a character. She, you can make an alliance with her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and Zori takes them back to Babu Freak so that we can start getting the map out of C-3PO's head, you know, so we can get the location yeah. out of C-3PO's head. And while this is all going on, Zori is sort of just sort of explaining the cynical view of the, the galaxy, the fact of like, well, if the First Order comes, we're all screwed. And oh, mm-hmm. no, they're attacking the city. What are we supposed to supposed to do? This crap is all, this is the crap we've all been trying to run away from. Yeah. And it leads to a moment where her and Poe are kind of seeing, or not Poe, yeah, her yeah, and Poe. Her and Poe. Um, sorry, I tripped on my words no, for a good. second. We're are going like up to the roof of the yes. building they're in. They're and, watching out for the first order. They're keeping an eye out. And this is where we see that Zori is human because she slides it open a little bit. Yeah, you see her her eyes. They're very vibrant and shine out from inside of her helmet. It's a very cool look. Like, yeah, it's very. I don't know how to put it. Like. Striking. The, the amount, yeah, striking is a good word for it. The amount that they chose to show, it's like you can see personality and you can see that there's a person in there, but they're not revealing too much. They're not taking off the whole helmet, yeah, you know? And, and the, the moment that's in the movie is like the same idea of just the guard is coming down just a little bit. Yeah. Where she's basically just saying, like, Poe has to go fight this battle mm-hmm. because these people are monsters and everyone knows yeah. the first terrible but only people like poe can really fight them yes so she yeah she's basically saying she's reassuring poe poe is kind of like a okay so in poe in episode seven poe is this cocky pilot in episode eight he basically learns i can't always be a pilot sometimes i need to be a leader right and he learns that leadership sometimes needs to take responsibility before action right and then in episode nine he's struggling with 
becoming the sole leader. He's like, okay, I realize I need to be a leader and now I'm struggling. Can I do this? Am I the person to get this done? And Zori's here to essentially reassure him. Now, what's interesting here is we also understand, you know, based on their very first interaction, but also on this conversation here, that they have a bit of a history together. Right. And we go this whole movie not knowing or learning anything about that history. Right. But that's where the backstory comes in. And I think now's a good time for us to talk about it because to understand the emotion here in this scene, I think this is important. So let's talk a little bit about how we meet Zori for the first time. So uh, the Poe novel, uh, Poe Dameron Freefall, we mentioned it earlier by Alex Segura, great read. Uh, Definitely recommend if you're, you know, a Poe fan or very interestingly, this story takes place about 16 years after the Battle of Endor. Right. So if you want something that's in that time frame, this is one of a few stories along with like Mandalorian and Bloodline. I feel like we also almost need to take, I'm going to call that like if the dark times yeah. traditionally in the EU was the space between where episode three would be yeah. and episode four, I feel like we're getting to the point like we have the bright times, which is like the 15 years, you know, 15 to 20 years after the Battle of Endor, where we're like, well, okay, Jakku is where the Empire falls and then everything's great. And then everything gets worse again. Yeah. I mean, that's what we have. (laughs) Right. And we're getting tiny little snippets plastered in as we go, which for me is fun. I want that story told. I want to know what happens in those 30 years. But I like that we've gotten the big picture. You know, the Mm -hmm. Republic, New Republic demilitarizes, you know, like these things we've learned now that. Anyway, this is a conversation for another No, no, just like the Empire rising, the the Republic's disarming. And that's kind of where we find is the fringe of the galaxy where for some characters, like, life is still hard in the New Republic. Yeah, because it is a new government. They're taking over. They're learning to... Uh, rule and you know if you're a core world things might be going well but if you're in the mid rim you know they may not be there yeah. yet really they didn't just sign treaties in the new and the republic was just and the old republic was back and yeah. better than ever <laughs> like yeah and remember too a lot of citizens of the galaxy have bad memories of the republic you know before the empire um but anyway that's not here nor there because where we meet our mm -hmm. characters is on the settlement on yavin 4 so that's where poe and his dad kess are living after the death of his mom Mm -hmm. and zori along with her crew of a few other smugglers uh going by the name zori win at the time are on yavin 4 in a cantina basically they've lost their pilot they're stranded he's dead and Poe is looking for a way out. He's tired of being here. This can't be all there is to life. Just sitting around. You know, his parents, they used to be pilots. They were daring. And ever since his uh, mom died, you know, his dad's just been too overprotective. He wants to get out of here. So after he crashes his mother's A-wing and just narrowly avoids, you know, getting locked up for it. Uh, you know, the, the cla- all the classic teenage tropes, basically. Well, yeah, just the I once songs are playing. And just yeah. <laughs> like, I want, there's got to be more to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he basically is in the cantina and uh, the bartender says, hey, you got to go talk to these guys. And he goes and he meets with Zori and the rest of her gang. And he learns that they're the Spice Runners of Kajimi. And, you know, he's heard about them and that they're brutal and vicious. But he's like, I got to get out of here. And basically, he's immediately... He immediately uh, 
is enamored by Zori mm-hmm. and basically wants to get off the planet, is using them as a way to get off, but basically ends up wanting to follow her. Now, one uh, little uh, detail of this book that I absolutely love is they end up on Sorgan, which oh, if you don't okay. remember is the planet from episode four of season one of The Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is uh, just, I-, I thought, a ton of fun. But they end up there, which is fun. Um, and basically through the first half of the book, we learn a little bit about Zori. So basically, it all boils down to she's just kind of this young person who's convinced of what she wants. And I don't know if we have an exact age, but she's about the same age as Poe. She's okay. born, you know, right right around the time of uh, Endor. So, you know, right yeah. around there, uh, maybe a year or two older, but, you so know, about like the teens. same. Yeah, yeah, late teens. She might be a little older, but I don't think the book specifies. But you're led to believe that, okay? Um so basically, she she knows what she wants, and we won't learn till later, but because we're talking about her in this sort of out-of-order context, her mother is currently the leader of the Spice Runners of Kajimi, hmm. and she has known all of her life, essentially, that her dreams, her ambitions are to take over, sure. and so she's very set. She's like, everything I do in my life is leading me towards this, so if you're distracting me from this or you're not part of this goal then I don't really have a place for you. Right. And so Poe ends up following her and gets into this world where he essentially gets in with this really bad gang hmm. and is doing things all over the galaxy. And at first it doesn't seem too bad. You know, it's just stealing stuff, you know, a heist or whatever. Right. And then things get more violent as Zori's mother, Ziva, starts to get involved. And at the time, Ziva is the one wearing the helmet that we see Zori oh, wearing earlier okay. on. Uh, and so she doesn't have sort of that classic look yet. And basically, we learn throughout the book that uh, Zori's mother has basically been this influence on her, her whole life where, OK, you are going to take over for me, you know, and throughout the book, we see them have sort of some mother daughter interactions where Zori will just walk into her command center and all of a sudden find herself in a fight with her mother. You know, her mother saying, oh, you have to always be prepared for an attack from anywhere. And oh, basically throughout the story, one of their other, uh, you know, cohorts, uh, Ziva's second in command uh, is set up by the New Republic to make it look like she has sort of betrayed the Spice Runners. Mm-hmm. And so Ziva kills him, leaving a spot for Zori to move into kind of second-in-command. And so the book sort of sees the beginning of her ascent into command of the Spice Runners as well. Oh, okay. Now, throughout that whole first half, like I said, she knows what she wants, but her and Poe are you know, developing this relationship together where sometimes it seems like they're really clicking and they're really together. And then other times she seems, you know, really distant and it's all because, you know, while she does have feelings for him, like he does for her, she is very much a, I am working towards this goal and nothing is going to stop me from that. Right. And so she's this very dedicated person to this sort of life of crime. And like I said, she also has a really difficult relationship with her mother because, (laughs) you know, her mother wants her to be one thing. And while she also wants that, she, by the end of the story, acknowledges that maybe her mother doesn't have everything right. Well, it's not her destiny. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk about that, the end of the story a little bit more, but what I want to talk about a little bit now in a little bit more detail, because this is really where I think we shape kind of the character of Zori, the beginning of her, is basically there's this moment where Ziva, Zori's mother, has lured all of her sort of criminal co-conspirators to Kajimi. 
in the guise of we're going to create this criminal enterprise. We're all going to band together. Mm. We're going to become one massive force and we are going to take over because, you know, the huts are weak. The empire's practically gone. The first, you know, the first order isn't really a thing yet. So, you know, they're going to take over. But what it actually turns out to be is a plot just to eliminate all of the competition. Uh, now, because of this act, because of essentially this slaughter that unfolds, Poe's like, this isn't for me anymore. I got to get out of here. Yeah. And throughout this whole story, there's also this new Republic officer who's been tracing the Spice Runners as well as trying to get Poe back to his father because, you know, he's technically a, a kid and they're he's still, a runaway. you know, they're they're trying to operate under. Initially, they're under something that he must have been forced or kidnapped. And, you know, so that's part of the story throughout the whole time, too. But basically... We get to the end here, and this New Republic officer is fighting with Ziva Bliss, and basically Poe stops Ziva from killing her, gets into the middle of the fight, and as she's about to kill Poe, Zori basically tackles her own mother, pushes her off of him, and basically says, you know what, Poe, you were right. The Spice Runners don't really have things work together join with me we can lead them together and we can make it better we can make it what we want it to be so even when she has the chance to sort of get out and escape she's basically saying no i want this this is what i'm here for like this isn't just my mother's influence this is what i want but you were right too it can be better we don't need to be as brutal as we are we can you know make a living out here and not be just this horrendous group of criminals at the same time. We can time. make some money, not all the money. Yeah, basically, yes. Yes, and that's what it comes down to. And Poe, while he believes that's what she wants, basically deep down just kind of knows, you know, an organization like this can't change that much at its core. You might be able to push it in a direction, but it won't actually be able to change. You're going down a dark path I can't <laughs> follow. It it is very much like yeah it has a lot of that feeling it, it reminds well, me a lot too of like the episode eight throne room stuff too. Well, it's an important thing. I mean, it's it's a classic thing in the hero's journey is the idea of the test. The yeah. you know here is the heed to adventure or here is the call of seduction. Do you heed it? And the answer yeah. is you have to feel the pull towards it, deny it, and then still go the way you were always meant to be. Right? Yeah. And so so Poe has been, you know, kind of going through the woods of darkness right now, basically. Oh, cool. I got off. I got out of that planet. I don't have to be there anymore. And I'm now mucking my way through a criminal organization. And I didn't leave Yavin 4 to end up here. (laughs) Right. Exactly. He basically follows a girl. He Mm -hmm. doesn't follow the criminal opportunity right? right like for him he's like oh i'm getting to pilot a ship i'm getting to see the galaxy that's what he wanted but he slowly realizes oh not at the expense of doing these illegal activities this isn't you know what i'm meant to do this isn't who i am and so zori basically tells him like all right well if you're not here to join us you have to leave and never come back or i'll kill you And that's basically it, right? Poe leaves. That's the end of Zori's story there. She essentially takes over the Spice Runners, or, you know, we assume she does in the near future. Um, And at some level, probably strives to make it better because of Poe's influence, but it's still spice running illegally (laughs) in the New Republic, so it's still not going to work out well. Exactly. Now, there really isn't more in Zori's story until we get to the Rise of Skywalker, which we're about to talk about more. 
But I do want to point out that living where they do on Kojimi, you know, more in the outskirts of the galaxy, uh, they are, shall we say, probably going to be interacting with the First Order sooner. You know, right. they're they're not only worried about the New Republic, but they have to worry about the First Order cracking down and coming down on them, too. So that's an interesting story that maybe we'll learn about more one day. Yeah. But, you know, when we meet Zori in The Rise of Skywalker, as we've already talked about a little bit, she is a changed person because now she wants out. The oppression yeah. of the First Order is too much. That's how her and Poe's conversation on the roof culminates is she wants to leave. She has this plan. She has this captain's medallion of the First Order, which allows you to dock, you know, without having you know, any other clearance. And so for her, she, she says she's going to use it to get, she says, the colonies. I don't think we really know what those are. Um, mm -hmm. But she's it's basically the idea of I want to get out of here. I want to get to freedom. And so we see that over those 15 odd years or whatever it was, she has kind of come around to Poe's way of thinking of like, you know, maybe this isn't the right path for me. Maybe this isn't the way to go. So we see sort of the beginning of Zori's story. And then we see sort of the end of her spice running story. In The Rise right. of Skywalker. And so we have these two nice bookends for it. Now, Zori does also come into the final well, battle. And I would say the last thing about Zori yeah. that it shows is she, she gives that Cadman medallion so that Poe can have his shot. Yeah. Right? And this culminates with, you know, Kojima being attacked by the First Order. You know, the planet's destroyed. Yeah. And Blown up completely. We find that who's one of the first people in the flotilla that's coming to Exegol to fight? <laughs> it's her. Her and her why wing And it pretty much shows the fact that Poe's influence, that the resistance influence on the galaxy yeah. is that despite how bad the First Order is, despite how bad the situation is, despite the fact that when they made the call on um, Crate. in Crate yeah. and, and no one responded, it wasn't because no one wanted to respond, right? It was because out of fear, mm -hmm. it was because... You know, we had just finished a civil war in a lot of people's living memory. We can't get involved in another mm -hmm. one. Um, you know, Hossie and Prime, look what they did to that. They'll do that to us next. Mm -hmm. And when the chips were down, even the most jaded person was, screw it. Let's go. Let's go. And so, like, Zori represents that cynicism yeah. being sort of washed away. And when the absolute true, like, darkest moment of, you know, the... First Order's power is of it is looming over the galaxy. They have ships positioned all across the galaxy to blow them up. People showed up. They did finally answer the call, and they did go after them, and they did fight, and they did win. And it was, you know, it's it's why that scene has such a triumph to it. Is just here's all these ships from all different walks of life, freighters, haulers, fighters, everything, mm -hmm. and just like we are literally bringing everything and the kitchen sink to see what we can do. <laughs> and Lando called in every favor he has, and he has a lot of favors to call in. So it was kind of a celebration. And I think for Poe, it's like the personal representation of, you know, even this person who could, could in his mind represent the, the lost cause, the person who's just too in deep with the way the world is. They can't see the higher ideal that uh -huh. they should be fighting for. She showed up. Absolutely. You're right. That is the, ultimately the power of the resistance the rebellion right like it's so poe is representing that but that theme is something we've seen before too that's the whole point is it's meant to inspire you it's meant to bring hope mm -hmm. and poe represents 
those values there. And that, absolutely, it's great. Uh, a great way to kind of cap off his character a little bit. Uh, Zori flies a neat red and white Y-Wing called the Comeuppance. Oh, that's, that's a, a lot name. of fun. Yep. Uh, there's enough room in there for Babu Frick. Yeah, we know that. Um, yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we also get her at the very end of The Rise of Skywalker. Her and Poe have a little bit of a moment. We get to see that she survives, yeah. which is nice and fun. And who knows? Maybe there'll be more more story to follow with Poe and Zori and Babu and all of your friends. But, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun getting to hang out on Kajimi with her, too. That was a ton. Yeah. That was a ton of fun. I'm glad they picked there to be her headquarters because uh, it was a great planet to see. Sorry to see it blown up. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely a cool character. And, uh, you know, if the history of Star Wars shows anything, people who wear really cool armor yeah. do tend to get more stories told about them. Yeah, I really hope that continues. I uh, I was glad to see that she was such a big part of that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are a Zori fan, highly recommend checking it out. Uh, of course, Carrie Russell was great. Yeah. Uh, great addition to the Star Wars universe. Very, very happy to have such a cool character. Uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take a dark red in character design anytime. It's always going to look good. <laughs> that color. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything else to say because she's such a fun, cool character who I just hope we get more of. I think that's all I've got to say, too. So you want to move on to something else? I think we should do something next. Yeah. Star Wars is for everyone. Every day we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively. Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people. Let them know that they're loved. There's, regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves and accepts all. And it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020, Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders that were all together at Star Wars Celebration to celebrate the things we love. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the Empire when you're trying to champion what's right. But remember, it takes all of us to fight an Empire. So join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com Brought to you by the Ad Council. Shield generator fix will be sitting ducks. The shields are gone. Power's back. That little droid did it. Right past the main power drive. Deflect the shields up at maximum. Right, some people love them. Many ships need them. And every ship could have one. I don't think there's anyone in the world of Star Wars 
who isn't at least a little bit of a fan of the noble stalwart astromech droid. Yeah, even if you don't love your toaster, you still can appreciate that it toasts for you. It's useful to have toast from time to time. Mm -hmm. And same thing with an astromech. When it isn't working, when it, you know, when it's working for you and not getting blown up off the top of your <laughs> ship, uh, you know, you're probably pretty happy you have one. It can get you into hyperspace. Mm -hmm. It can help distribute power and redirect systems in your ships. Uh, as we've seen with BB-8, it can help you plug leaky sparks. Oh, yeah. You know, it can do anything. Yeah, I mean, the astromech droid is incredibly useful and incredibly common in the Star Wars universe as well. Mm -hmm. Let's just break it down a little bit. So in Star Wars, there are five degrees of droids, and all astromech droids safely, neatly fit into second-degree dro uh, second droids. And a second-degree droid is one that is designed for technical work. So their whole job is technical and engineering tasks. And an astromech, as the name implies, is a space mechanic. That's what their sort of job is. Now, we've seen some of this here and there in the Star Wars universe. We'll kind of get into appearances of them. But the whole thing is a lot of them are repair units. They're repairing stuff a lot of times during flight. But one other thing that's very, very important about why astromechs are everywhere is navigational computers, nav computers, are very expensive in the Star Wars universe. They're bulky, and you generally, you know, not every ship can afford to have them on it. So, in a lot of cases, in many smaller ship designs, they use an astromech droid to be the nav computer. They load it up with mm -hmm. maps, and it actually talks directly to the navigational systems and guides a ship through hyperspace. They're probably not as robust as a nav computer, but they're good enough. And um, that's why we see, like, for instance, R2-D2 in the X-Wings. That's how Luke gets to Dagobah, because R2 is the one that actually calculates the path there. Now, I think it's important to talk about astromech droids in the in-universe chronology of when we first see them, which is in episode one, where we actually see them being used more to what their namesake is. <laughs> yes. So in episode one, we see them uh, primarily first on the Queen Starship. Mm -hmm. Not the first time we see them, because we see them in a few other spots uh, up on the Trade Federation ships, I believe. And uh, I think we see a few flyover shots of Naboo pilots before that where they have them. But basically, we see them in action on the Queen ship because they're just getting blown off the roof just one at a time. Yeah. They get like they're on these charging racks. They go up the chute to the outside of the ship. They're using their feet to medically hold to it, and they're like putting wires back as boom, <laughs> boom, off one at a time. Thank God for that exceptionally well put together little unit R two D two. Yep. Uh, you know he gets their shields back up while every other droid, uh, unfortunately, got blown away. Um, and, and, you know, that's a shame because you never like to see any droids go down in the line of duty, but sometimes you have to. Well, it just reminds us that these are disposable. They're pieces of equipment to the people in the Star Wars universe, which is hilarious because yeah. everyone we like in Star Wars treats them like us, like they're dogs or something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes that's a good way to put it. Um, it. It's fun because we see them, well, like Max said, as tools, but we also get to see them that... You know, this droid unit, this design, hasn't changed a whole lot over the yeah. years. You know, there end up, we'll, we'll talk about it kind of briefly here, there are six different versions of the R-series droid, mm -hmm. 
but there are other astromech droids outside of the R line too. So yes. you can have a say an R series astromech droid like R2, part of the R2 line, yes. that can be around and be in good actual use for decades and decades because you know, while ships change every year, it's not like they're changing that drastically. TIE fighters still look like TIE fighters 30 years later, you know? If it works, still look like you stick with it. Yeah, they can't you know, be that there's different. There's a reason cars in our world still just have four wheels for the most part. Because it works. It, hey, don't fix it, right? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. No, the classic. So here's my question. Hit me. When does a droid stop being an astromech? When what? it's not... Working on spaceships? Well, being a complete nerd, yeah. the the way it changes is when it detra- changes the degree of droid. The degrees mm. on droids are mostly describing what they were designed for. So an astromech desi- droid will always have been designed to be an astromech droid. Mm-hmm. Even if you put, like, say, a serving table welded to it and it's just on a sail barge handing out drinks, it doesn't change the fact it was originally designed to be an astromech sure. droid. Even if it's like a hospitality droid now. Um, so I think what really makes an astromech droid stay the way it's supposed to be is, is it directly involved with a starship? And if the answer is no, then it's probably gotten pretty far away from its original programming and design. Okay, fair enough. Now, obviously, we have a pretty big history in Star Wars with a few different astromech droids. I mean, R2-D2 being the most prominent, probably. Um, the witness to the whole <laughs> franchise. Yep, yep. Uh, BB-8 probably being one of the maybe second most popular astromech droid. And that's funny because when you think about it, BB-8 does the same thing R2 does, right? Serves the same purpose. He's there to work on the spaceship. Uh, But you may not think of them as the same type of droid, but they are just a different model, just a different design. It's kind of fun. And a way you can kind of tell that these are meant to be more tool-driven things is the fact that Almost, as far as I know, in Star Wars canon, I don't think we have any astromech droids who speak anything other than binary and communicate through anything other than computer readouts. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Chopper is the closest, as far as I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> He's got a distinct dialect of basic. Yeah, he or makes, binary. Yeah, he 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 kind of has some different sound effects than some of the rest. But beyond that, I can't think of any. All the other droids that talk are interpreter droids or oh, you know serve yeah. a different purpose have a vocabulator i mean that's the big thing we're talking about right, right. yeah you they, know your r2s your bb8s they communicate with beeps and boops and that's because they don't have the part that makes that translate into you know dialogue yeah and traditionally spoken about in star wars canon uh astromechs have a tendency to become weirder faster most droids you want to memory wipe them as part of normal maintenance because otherwise they will keep like uh, we would use the term, you know, updating their algorithms. They'll keep like getting better at their tasks based on heuristic learning and experience. Mm-hmm. The thing with the mechanic droids are they tend to get weirder faster because they tend to figure out ways to fix the machine and jury rig it in ways that it's not meant to be, be which tends mm. to make them go towards abstract and creative thinking more than a droid normally would be challenged to. So we've seen all kinds of eccentric droids. You know, BB-8 is an eccentric, one-of-a-kind droid who's a little weird. And R2-D2's quite a bit weird. Red from uh, the Jawa Sandcrawler who's 
may or may not sacrifice himself because he's force sensitive is a little bit weird. Even like brand new off the factory roles, it didn't take long for Goldie, a like spy version of this <laughs> in the Clone Wars to become weird. Yeah. I mean, he has like an arc welder fight with R2-D2. Like that's not normal. That wasn't in the manual. <laughs> <laughs> who is coding these droids i don't droids know. making droids what a sight it and they kind of are because i mean the biggest thing is the r series must be very popular because industrial automation the company that makes them makes a gajillion of them they're everywhere there's good guys and bad guys one mm -hmm. thing i think that shows how droids are treated in the universe is the bad guys and good guys in every version of star wars has always had copies of these things so you've got R2-D2, then you had the Death Star droid, which was like a black with some like clear parts version of a, it was a redress so they could put it on the Death Star. But like that continued because in episode eight, you have BB-8 and then you have EE-9, you have evil, you know, yeah. evil BB-8 running yeah. around. I think and, it's bb 90 Oh, I'm sorry. bb 90 I'm yes. sorry. No, you're good. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same I'm thing. sorry. I was thinking of his original name, which I liked even yeah. better. BB Hate, right? Wasn't yeah. that what they originally called him? Uh, that somewhere? Yeah, that it's, Twitter or something it's, came out. It was uh, H8. H8, Yeah. Yeah. Hate. I think, yeah. I it got it to hate. Yeah. The point was it was hate and it was yeah. really cute. <laughs> um, and there's also always been them in the universe because some of them are so popular and so, you know, it's so ubiquitous, so easy to find these that even ship designs were like, well, we could build a Navi computer into it, but uh, you know, get that uh, get that R seven unit and just build it into the Jedi Starfighter. Just hardwire it in. Uh, don't even put a droid socket. Just wire it in. <laughs> It'll be cheaper to do that than to actually build a custom component. You can save for it. wheels. Save well, on think wheel about costs. it. There's you no wheels. Even... You don't have that tool chest of a body they all run around with, <laughs> clinking and shaking and, and mm -hmm. making all these noises mm -hmm. all the time. What about in uh, episode three when Obi-Wan's droid gets its head chopped off by the Budge droids? Can't remember nasty. The, the name of that one, but that's a that's a good astromech moment there. Well, it's also really gross because, again, unlike when his droid dies when the ship blows up in episode <laughs> two, um, that's a normal droid because we saw in uh, Anakin's fighter is a droid socket. Yeah. R2 is able to make his way out of there. Right. Which means that they ripped the head off and there's still a body that some mechanic would have to go get crowbars and pry out of there. <laughs> um, you don't think there's just like an eject button? <laughs> it's like a tape. Like yeah. just press it. There's a little rod that pushes it yeah. up from the bottom. It's like a PlayStation. You have to like turn the screwdriver and press in in the right spot at the same <laughs> time. And it'll just pop right out. Yeah, no, it's not that hard. Um, it, no, it's kind of weird because, again, when when that's a good example of, like, we really anthropomorphize these droids. There's a reason that the other – there's not, like, you know, a giant collection of mouse, mouse droid builders. <laughs> but, like, the R2 Builders Society is a lot of humans. Like, a lot of people build their own or duplicates of, like, mm -hmm. R2 and BB-8. Mm -hmm. And I think it's mostly a testament to Ben Burt and his idea of, okay, so they talk in beeps and whistles because it's binary. I mean, that's what we're going to call it. But he had such such an intelligence about, all right, I'm going to make all these beeps and boops, but what would they sound like? I mean, I need to, I guess, try and express some emotion with these things. What would they, well, you know, babies can't really make words yet. And you definitely can kind of tell what they're thinking. I'll build off of that. 
So R2 and BB-8 and all these characters make these beeps and whirls that are reminiscent of very humanistic sounds that we're used to, especially from like babies and stuff. And you kind of always know what they're feeling. So again, they're kind of like dogs. They may not be able to say words at you, but you know what they're feeling, which is why when they're in danger or when they get killed or when uh, they they go bad or dangerous things are happening to them, we really feel for them. I mean, like, who wasn't watching episode seven and when Poe, like, says, get out of here, wasn't thinking of, like, oh, the dog has to run away from his master who's about to get arrested by Nazis, Nazis, and then the dog has to run across the forest <laughs> until it finds someone to help it find its master. Like, there's such a relationship yeah. there. Oh, for sure. And... It's why they've stuck around. It's why they mm-hmm. became like, how can a character who doesn't talk become a character? Right. And the longevity of the love for R2 and all the other droids that have spun off of that character. For some people, that's Star Wars to them. Sure. And that is incredible. And it's such an anchor point because yeah. even when you look at things like the Old Republic, uh, the Old Republic, when Bioware made that game, they were like, all right, uh, we should probably need some droids. Um, we well, we need an R two. There's there's got to be an R two, yeah. and so they make this way more primitive T three series. But it's an R two. Like they're like, <laughs> we need a squat little running around goofball who's hacking stuff and helping stuff and making all these cute, adorable chirps and whirls. Yeah, and I think it's just it's one of the anchor points that mm-hmm. makes Star Wars Star Wars. It's integral to Star Wars, and it's fun to see that you know, our hero is going to continue to kind of have an astromech by their side. Uh, you know, that has become a trope of Star Wars in a way, you know, as our hero well, has their astromech. I'm just going like, yeah, Luke has R2. Anakin has R2. R2. And Poe has BB-8. Finn has BB-8. Ray has BB-8. <laughs> you know what I'm just thinking of? Like, again, I'm going to use it again. It's that dog yeah. analogy. But we must give a just, you've already mentioned it, but yeah. like, let's give a little bit to Chop. Yeah. Uh, because Chop is our cat. <laughs> <laughs> Chop is the, the, I think he cares about us. Maybe. Sometimes. <laughs> I think. <laughs> R2-D2 is the faithful, loyal companion that's always there for you. Even when he gets shot in the head as you're running down the trench run, he's still holding on and trying to fix stuff for, for you. Chop probably will hit the hyper space jump when we need him, I think. <laughs> I, I if, we're, him. if we're nice to him today. I, I love him. Yeah. Uh, Who doesn't love Chopper? Chopper's great. fun. If you haven't watched Rebels, Chopper's great. Chopper is great. C5, right? Or R5. R5. What? Wait, no. No, no. Chop's name comes from his call sign, which is like, I think it's C1. Yeah. Um, So is he not an astromech droid? Is he not an R-series droid? No, he's not. Because he's cobbled together. Yeah. I think it's, if I remember correctly, his name, I'm not going to look it up, but it was like, it's like C one one zero nine. Yeah. So or one one. I'm sorry, one zero P. Yeah. So that the eyes with the hyphen between them makes the mm-hmm. H. So it's Chop, mm-hmm. and then just gets the nickname Chopper. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean he's made of parts of an R two unit, <laughs> <laughs> and we've seen other parts of R two units. I mean that gondola thing in the at- end of Mandalore, and that real tall boy oh. astromech droid. I don't. I don't know if that counts as an astromech anymore. He's got most of an astromech there, but he's also on like leg legs. 
I don't know what it is, but I love it. You want to combine an R2 droid and a Vulture droid? I'll take it. And um, our our friend L3 also has like an arm piece that's yeah. a chunk of a leg of an R2. Yeah. Like I said, as far as I can tell, we joked earlier, these truly are the toasters of the universe. Most households have access to an astromech droid. Just Go to your basement. You probably have one. <laughs> There's one in the corner. It's like a somewhere. vacuum cleaner. Just yeah. most people have one. People leave the old ones behind. Right. Yeah. The, the, you can just get a new I one. We'll just get that. a new one. Well, it's that simplicity, but personality that has in, made them endure for so long. Yeah. And it's fun. I'm. I know people who get into Star Wars specifically because of droids, like you were saying. Yeah. People who find that as their hobby and their passion. Uh, it's it for me. I didn't find droids an interesting part of Star Wars until I was older. It's funny. You know, they they I'm, weren't part of they didn't they didn't cross my mind really other than battle droids. Yeah. I mean, I love robots, but I have to admit, like, I don't think it was until. Later in life, I really had an appreciation for R2s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I like them. I, I never was like anti-R2, but never was in the constellation of my favorite characters. And right. I think one other thing about it is like, I think you're right. I think it's just one of those things that a lot of people, that's that's what brings them to the table. Because, I mean, great example of this is the Droid Depot at Galaxy's Edge is all about living out your fantasies of building your own R2 or BB unit. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes it all work is... I think the other thing with the Astromex is there are so many of them that show up in the galaxy that, like, you can go make your own. Like, if yours is red with blue accents and gold trim, go, go make that. Yeah. You can make that. That can exist. Right. When I go to Galaxy's Edge, I will make my red and green R2 unit. You will make that Christmas R2 Nothing unit. will stop me. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten some good ones. There have been some good green and some good red astromech droids over the years. Sure. Um, you know, so, you know, it could happen. All right. Well, I think... I think we've exhausted. The yeah, topic I can't believe well. how much we had to good. say about them. Oh yeah, well, uh, and we didn't important. even get into the details of like what are the different versions. But you know, that's. that's I think the crazy. whole thing about it is they have a navigation <laughs> computer. They're generally basic program, which is why yep. no beeps and whirls, and they are all walking tool chests full of all kinds of Swiss Army knife thingy jobs that can fix stuff, break stuff. <laughs> One of my favorite bits about like again. As Star Wars has grown, we've seen them do all the things that lore told us they could do is I love when BB-8 is trying to wire the patch board at the beginning of, of Last Jedi because you're yeah. like, oh, that's why he's sitting in that sock. It's right socket. It's right behind the fuse box. So if yeah. the fuses go out, he can flip them back on because he's rewiring and rerouting power in the ship on the fly. Yeah. And it's great. It it's is great. It's a character that you can put love and passion into right but still have it be a piece of tech yes and that for a lot of people allows them to connect to it and that's a ton of fun all right all right well let's go talk about one more piece of tech before we go let's do it i'm ready the target area is only two meters wide it's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port the shaft leads directly to the reactor system A precise hit will start a chain reaction which should destroy the station. Only a precise hit will set up a chain reaction. The shaft is ray shielded, so you'll have to use proton torpedoes. That's impossible, even for a computer. It's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Then man your ships, and may the force be with you. Right after blaster cannons, one of the most used munitions in the entire star wars universe is the pinky red 
burning explosive known as the proton torpedo. And it's funny because the proton torpedo, while it's something we've heard about a lot in Star Wars, you know, we hear that phrase in episode four. We hear Mm -hmm. it again throughout many places, novels, shows, all throughout Star Wars. Proton torpedo is something that, Mac, have you ever really sat down and thought about, okay, what is the difference between like a laser, a proton torpedo, uh, you know, a bomb. Like, what are what are the differences here? So tell us what makes a proton torpedo a proton torpedo. This is it, Roz. Y- yes, I, I have sat down and I've thought very deep and long. I, I know. I, I'm glad <laughs> you have because I haven't. So tell us. So pretty much the biggest thing is it's a very common thing in what they're referencing in star Wars, which is this aerial combat, right? Okay. Back in world war two, which is what most of this is referencing. You had essentially two types of weapon that you were firing against your enemy. You were firing um, machine guns that we'd Mm -hmm. had since world war one. And something that was new to world war two was these dummy fire missiles or rockets. The idea that if you got close to something, you could fire this rocket, and if it was in the same path you had aimed it, if you'd let it right, you might hit your target with a much more powerful explosion, but you didn't have as many of those, so they meant more. And by the time Star Wars is coming up in you know, the Vietnam War and stuff, dogfighting had evolved to missile locks, things that could lock onto a target and would at some levels fall it by heat or fall it by you could do what's called painting a target where you're aiming at, at it. And as long as you keep your sights on it, it will read from your ship what you're aiming at and try to stay on target. And so that's what this is referencing is the idea of when you get a missile lock, you fire your missiles and that means you're, you're going to get a kill. As long as they hit, you're going to get a kill. Whereas your machine gun virus kind of spray and pray. You're hoping you're going to hit them. And that's what proton torpedoes represents is these longer range, high yield explosives that you can fire at a target that have limited heat seeking capability. Because that's the whole reason in Star Wars that when they get to the thermal exhaust port, they kind of do that 90 degree turn down. Mm -hmm. It is not because they got sucked into it. They go because it's a thermal exhaust port. Once it got to where its target is, as long as it course corrected down to the thermal it would go all the way down. And that's why everyone's telling Luke, like you need to keep your targeting computer on. If you don't have a lock, the computer on, on the torpedo isn't going to follow the exhaust port. It's going to bounce off the side. Cause it's too stupid <laughs> to know to move around. Unless it's guided by the force, <laughs> which is kind of what happens. Yes, um, yes. the interesting thing about also proton torpedoes is again, little weird things about star Wars being a place. Uh, the empire uses them. Yeah. Uh, TIE bombers and some versions of the TIE Advanced have proton torpedo launchers. Okay, so we see proton torpedoes in episode four being fired into the Death Star Trench. Mm-hmm. We see, are those proton torpedoes when the asteroids are getting bombed in episode five? The actual bombs would not. Those are, I think, they might be proton bombs. Okay. Oh. So then how about episode one when Anakin is destroying the droid control ship? Proton torpedoes. Okay, so then my question then becomes... A proton torpedo is essentially a ball of light. Usually because that's kind of what it looks like on film. The way you see it is, and again, it's it's harder the further you go back, because again, you know, that's why the light that's why Obi-Wan's lightsaber is yellow, because they couldn't tell it was blue in the in the master prints of the film. <laughs> um is a very, very bright incandescent ball of pink red energy. Mm-hmm. 
If you see it blue, that's a different thing. That's a concussion missile. Gotcha. And concussion missiles and concussion technology in general, we don't really get a good look at it in movies until Boba Fett, when he, uh, I'm sorry, Jango Fett, when he's yeah. going through the asteroid belt and he drops that thing that just goes like really, really loud. And then just everything in its wake just kind of bursts. Yes. Because concussions are sound weapons, for lack of a better term. And those yes. are the only other mentioned, like, in Star Wars lore, I'm aware of, like, long-range explosive weapons. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, proton torpedoes, mm-hmm. can those go through shields? They can. In fact, the entire reason that they fire them in Episode 4 is because the thermal exhaust port isn't completely exposed. Because it's not like someone designed a weakness, designed their hate and frustration for the entire Empire into a material mistake in the blueprint. But even if they did, they have to at least cover it up by having ray shields on it. Yes. And so if you're confused by the phrase of ray shield, that is essentially just the type of shield that essentially every ship uses to a certain extent. Now, there are different variations Mm -hmm. of these shields, right? Because we see, um, uh, let's see, in episode one, right, they talk about ray shields using them to, like, protect doors and stuff, right? right? And those shields at the end on Naboo are considered ray shields. And so, you know, they're used in different areas, as far as I know, the right? The nerdiest thing that I've read about ray shields is red sh- ray shields tend to be red. Mm-hmm. So those swinging gates that Maul and Obi-Wan and stuff yep. are all ray shields. And they're all based on the same shield technology, but the difference generally between ray shields and like the kind of more blue ones that like mm-hmm. the Gungans used during mm-hmm. the Battle of Naboo is that ray shields are designed to stop uh, matter. They will let energy go through it. So, for instance, you have a thermal exhaust port that's ray shielded. It will let that heat escape. It doesn't care about that, but it won't let things get into it. It won't let like, you know minor forms of energy it's like it's almost like putting like a one-way valve on Mm -hmm. that port and that's why you need something like the proton torpedoes that are so high energy they overwhelm the ray shields the other big place we see ray shields is when they're uh when anakin and obi-wan are trying to run through the invisible hand in episode three that kind of white pulsy energy thing is is also called a ray shield and they just stop because they don't try to test it much because we get the idea that it's really bad for organics to touch ratios. <laughs> that definitely seems like the idea. Yeah. Don't go sticking your hand through them. Yeah. So, okay. So we have these torpedoes that right. are stronger than a laser blast. Yes. That or explosive An too. explosion. Yep. And that can get through these ray shields because they are of high enough energy. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, they're also essentially... I mean, what they are... It's interesting because if you're going to draw an analogy, yeah, they work very much in the way like a bullet does. Yes. Like you have the entire casing, the, you know, mm-hmm. the whole bulk of the missile where all the of the explosives are and that pushes out just the cap, right, which fires out with all of the the explosives. All yeah. Explosives, right? I'm speaking in legacy terms because I don't know if Canon yeah. has reestablished this, but in legacy terms we mostly thought of them like um, kind of like a tracer round in real life. If you mm-hmm. fire a tracer round, you cause when it leaves the barrel phosphorus to burn mm-hmm. and you see the light around that phosphorus as that bullet goes whizzing out into the night. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing with proton torpedoes is as soon as they clear the ship, they activate this proton energy that they're releasing 
and it's got after so much time that goes critical. So the second it leaves, those protons are just, you know, weeping off mm -hmm. of it, forming the bright light that we see. And when they hit something that breaks the rest of the casing, which causes probably what other whatever other catalyst it has into it to take mm -hmm. that cloud of protons and burst them. Very cool. OK, OK. And protons, torpedoes, like you mentioned, is something we see in all three trilogies. We see it in episode one where he blows up the droid control ship by accidentally firing them. <laughs> um, we see them, obviously, in episode four and at the Battle of Endor. And we also see them at the Battle of Starkiller Base as Black Squadron is going through. They're destroying the thermal oscillator that's there by blasting it mm -hmm. with proton torpedoes. Because, again, the normal blast cannons, the laser cannons, just aren't doing it. Yes. And a lot of ships, you know, capital ships, have proton mm -hmm. torpedoes as well. The reason why you don't see them always being effective is because they can get shot out of the sky. Right. Big capital ships have defenses against them. And also, that's one of the things they will sometimes use their small fighters for, is to destroy proton torpedoes before they hit the capital ships. Because, yeah. you know, when you're miles away in space, in space combat, in some of these giant battles... It takes time to clear that distance. Yeah, <laughs> right? No matter how fast they're moving. So, that's what's interesting about proton torpedoes, is we see them used... But they're not this overpowered weapon either. That no. like, you know, it's not like, oh, you should only ever use your proton torpedoes. Your lasers will never matter. You know, yes. and they make them powerful enough that they're different, but they're not so overpowered that they become this unnecessary weapon. And I think you're right. I think if you take their name, torpedo, it mm -hmm. makes you think of like submarine movies and stuff where you can like feel and hear it coming your way mm -hmm. and maybe you could shoot it out or maybe it could miss yes right stuff like that um and again we see that with uh who's it is it red leader red leader makes the good shot on the thermal exhaust port but it blows up on the outside it yeah, doesn't doesn't actually doesn't get the curve the port yeah um so like i said they can miss they're not perfect <laughs> uh it's fun i you know you never i never speak for myself, <laughs> would think about uh, looking that deep into any of the weapons. You know, when I was a younger Star Wars fan, that was never my my thing. And it's fun to hear that this was such an important part of your uh, growing up with Star Wars. Well, in a lot of ways, Star Wars technology was a gateway drug for me to learn about real world technologies. Like I learned about what excited protons do and the mm -hmm. idea of like what a Higgs boson particle could do if you exposed it to air. Probably because winding my way of understanding particle physics, thanks to Star Wars igniting my mind of, well, what is a proton torpedo? What would that do? I mean, it's made up, but we're using words like proton, not just because it's a word, but because it it's tying it to something George Lucas might have heard out of the corner's ear walking past the labs at UCLA while he's a film major about <laughs> what's going on in the world of physics. Because yeah. um, there are many technologies in Star Wars that have led to inspiration or have aped off of technologies we have mm -hmm. in our real world. Mm -hmm. Proton torpedoes really aren't that because, well, if you have a pro runaway proton reaction in the real world, uh, it, it's, it's explosive and not controlled wise. Uh, it's real bad. Don't do that. Um, but I think for me, one of the other reasons I got so nerdy about this particular vein is the video games. Cause from playing X-Wing, 
you know, some of the ships have proton torpedoes, some of them have ion cannons, some of them have concussion missiles, and those do different things in the game, and they're used for different tasks, mm-hmm. and I think the whole world maybe get a little bit more into this nerdiness, because when Squadron releases in October, um, you're going to see that proton yeah. torpedoes do a certain thing, mm-hmm. and these other weapons do other things, and you might want one or the other. Yeah, yeah, it's not just going to be an arcade thing, you've got to... Uh, oh, yeah. know what each weapon does and how it affects the battle and all that. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, I'm really glad we got to talk about a weapon today. Not yeah. something we get to do very often. So uh, I think we'll get to do it again in the future. What do you say? You down for that? You Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned about five technologies I could do an entire topic it, he's about. He's very excited, I'm folks. very nerdy he's about very this. excited. All right. Mac, I had a ton of fun. Do you have anything else to say about proton torpedoes? Nope. All right, they go boom. Um, Let's go and uh, close this thing down. You ready? Let's do it. all the smoke billows out because starships apparently have fog machines when they land and that's exactly what we're doing we're landing this podcast yes it is time for us to disembark this flight and uh i don't know you're gonna go to bed i'm gonna eat some dinner yeah uh it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a fun night i don't know anything exciting going on in the world of star wars thrawn uh the first thrawn um you know outside of the known galaxy the first chiss uh thrawn ascendancy book comes out Mm -hmm. in less than a month that's a lot of fun uh i just got my zeb aurelius black series so finally they completed the main rebels group so very excited about that um so i got to see the new packaging for the first time oh yeah how's it Uh, look it's fun it's got a nice uh a slant on the side oh like a 45 degree angle slant it's very odd um but i like it it's it's nice and pretty um it feels like a lot of material. It feels like a lot of... Well, let me ask you this. You know, As a collector... I don't know. Maybe more waste, but... Do you feel this is a better shrine for figures to stay in? I know you open yours, but I'm just yeah, saying, like... Yeah, maybe that's the problem. Um, I liked the uniformity of yes. the original black and orange and black and blue boxes. So I was a fan of keep the box, change the color of the print. So they did that for three years, you know, black and orange, black and blue, and then black and red. And now that we're getting into, like, carbonized figures and first editions and park exclusives, and now we're, like, I guess because we've already jumped the shark, (laughs) having this kind of color-coded package per property, I'm kind of a fan of. Okay. Having said that, (laughs) eventually you run out of properties And my only other thought is you're like, okay, so these start over from number one. So, like, Zeb is number one in the purple series of boxes, which represents Star Wars Rebels. Okay. Right? And then you have, say, four figures coming out that are in yellow boxes that represent Clone Wars. Sure. And you have green boxes that represent 
Return of the Jedi and so on and so on and so on. And coins, and usually once you get past like the primary colors, the secondary colors and black and white, you've run out of so, colors people yeah, really recognize. So if we've got nine movies, three TV shows uh, already. Yeah, it feels like it should be like that's OT kind of my era, sequel era, um, prequel era, and yeah. maybe like TV. <laughs> Well, not no. I wouldn't even say TV. I would say kind of like almost like a an other or like yeah. not legends, but like you know like a um, yeah. EU for yeah. lack of a better word. Because like you think about like Clone Wars. Well, that's all technically prequel era stuff yeah. that should probably have the same stripes on it. Yes, Captain Rex is not in the movie, but he's as much a member of the prequel trilogy as any other character. Same with Ahsoka. Yeah. So I would say that basically. It's very nice packaging. Yes. It's really, it's going to look great if you're the kind of person who's going to buy them all. Uh, as an open box collector, I'm just kind of like, I like the uniformity that was there before. Um, will it make me keep more of my boxes? Probably not. I, okay. I still have the Zeb box uh, and I might keep it just because it was the first. But like, even just the other day, I threw away my carbonized boxes because I'm just like, well, there's no reason. Like to I said, these. there's a whole collector, you know, I mean, I think Funko Pops doubled down on the idea of like, here's a really nice box for you to keep it in box forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of fans that do that. And it must be successful because I remember when we did Force Fridays, which feels mm-hmm. like in five trillion years ago. Yeah, it does. Um, we we. We had the opportunity. I don't know if you actually got any, but like we had the opportunity to get the first edition ones that had the the different packaging on them. Yeah, I'm regretting not getting Cal because I still have not bought a Cal Kestis uh, because it became impossible to find. I was totally wrong on that one being a shelf warmer. Well, I think Um, 2020 has made like action figure collecting just a living nightmare because you take all the problems of trying to get something and then remove all retail options from it and make it only online battling. Against um, bots and all other kind of garbage. Yes, yes. I do have a lot of strong feelings against different boxes and repacks and stuff. Um, I did only buy the Ray and Kylo first edition figures. Mm-hmm. I figured, well, you know what? We'll get the two, like the main characters here. I want to have these. are the first time they're doing these first edition boxes. Sure. I'll get a couple, but I didn't get them all. Uh, and like I said, I regret not like getting said, a couple I, of them. But I think there's a lot of people who are probably yeah. closed box collectors, and that stuff's meaning more. And selling well enough for them yeah. to keep trying that stuff. But so much of Hasbro, I, I, I gotta, I, you have to wonder, like, is it selling well? Because it just seems like everything you produce, no matter how much or how little you make of it sells out. Yeah. Like, so at what level can you really tell? Like if you make, this is the first wave edition box. The first, you know, ones off the assembly line come in a white box mm-hmm. as opposed to the normal black box. Well, you're going to sell all of those. You're going to sell every single one of them. So the sick part is you're not doing that for collectors. You're doing that to collectors by two because they'll want to buy the normal run mm-hmm. once they got their first edition one. We well, need so, one to open. Well, uh, yeah, you know, one to open, one to keep and one just in case. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't live don't, that life. Anymore. Don't be that guy. Go, yeah, go, leave one for the next collector. <laughs> be a good person. Um yeah, so, so I don't know. Weird. I mean, I guess it's a long way, a long way of talking around saying, yeah, if the boxes make you happy, great. I'm just going to open them. So, well, I think at the end of the day, if you're not buying it for the bo- the piece of plastic that's inside yeah. it, whether you're going to keep the piece of plastic in that box yeah. or not, yeah. don't don't buy it because yeah. it's an object of monetary gain. Go guys, go stocks or bonds or something that actually really, gold. truly holds value. Buy gold. 
Buy gold. That's probably what I'd recommend. Buy gold. Um, I will say one thing in my Star Wars universe is they had some more information come out about squadrons and basically yeah. dispelled any illusions I had of like, well, maybe this is the arcadey version. They're going to dumb down. This isn't TIE Fighter. No, this is X-Wing and TIE Fighter. If you want to turn it all the way up to Microsoft Flight Simulator levels of I'm making this hard on myself, <laughs> but I'm being a real pilot, pilot in finger quotes, I'm glad it's all there because yeah. as someone who... At this point, I think I will try the multiplayer, but I never deal well with multiplayer. I'm going to mostly play it single player. This is one of the rare times I'm like, I might play this on really hard difficulty because I really like yeah. the sense of satisfaction of piloting one of these things. Yeah. It, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it because while I will try that, I don't know if that will be where I will find enjoyment in it is making it super hard on myself. And I think you're going to find there's going to be stratas of players once the online gets going people who will cut it down and automate a lot of the features um uh but i think there's just certain uh, non-quality of life things that you're just gonna have to get used to which is so unnatural for the kind of games that usually go this route like for instance leading shots it looks like completely and fully you have to lead your shots because you know, as Wayne Gretzky would tell you, don't go where the puck is, go where the puck is going. You know, you're even the lasers aren't instantaneously getting across the distance right. between you and your yeah. ship. So you need to put it an inch or two in front of the nose of where that pilot's going so that by the time those get out there, it's running into your shots, mm -hmm. essentially. And I'm like. That's something that auto aim and stuff has killed in a lot of shooters. So just to see them going there makes me go like. This is a labor of love. This is a yeah. bunch of nerds who want to give this fantasy back to the community. And I think EA gave them the ability to do this without like these totally unrealistic expectations to it has to sell like gangbusters and it has to be a living service and it has to be this. It's like, no, this can go out for 40 bucks. Even if it pitters out and doesn't go very far, far, it will be complete. It will be done. You can enjoy it for years to come just mm -hmm. as it is, even if it doesn't get any more content. I think there is enough of a fan base still of X-Wing and TIE Fighter yeah. that they knew putting out a game like this for Star Wars fans, people would find enjoyment in it. Yes. But I'm glad that it does have degrees of difficulty. Yes. Uh, I think that's needed. So I'm I excited to play it. It'll definitely be a buy. I mean, as no a, doubt. As a person who stinks at most video games but loves the crap out of them, this wave of accessibility that not only for people's skill levels but also their their literal physical abilities having all this more fine-tuning like we saw in fallen order of mm -hmm. like hey are your fully flexes great awesome if they're not we will still let you get through this game and play it to the best of our ability without completely making it you know auto play for you yeah and I think anything that keeps that train rolling is great so totally it's gonna be rad I'm looking forward to it. We're like not far away. Less than two months. No, we've no, never been closer. It's, it's right at the beginning of October. Yeah. And this October is 4th. the closest we've ever been. It is. It is. Um, man, Star Wars is great. I mean, Mando season two. Mm -hmm. um, Mando art book coming out this far, fall. Uh, looking yeah. forward to that. Um, I think we might I have said it last week. I might that. be repeating myself. But like, it feels like you can hear the vroom, vroom, vroom of the engine of star Wars getting started up again. Yeah. Um, that yeah. sort of like the impact zone after rise of Skywalker and letting that kind of be there. I feel this is 
you know, we've been trained since, you know, 2015 to be kind of ready for like, hey, there's going to be a Star Wars in like another year. There's going to be a Star Wars in another year. There's going to be a Star Wars. Like, and I feel like, yeah, no, we're getting here to the end of the year and I'm ready for more Star Wars. I'm ready for more content. Yeah. It's going to be interesting since we're really only getting Mando at the end of this year. Yeah. We're not even getting the High Republic stuff we thought we'd be getting. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, but hopefully some announcements will right. tide us over. I feel at the end of you the know. month, we're going to see some frames of Mandalorian, probably yeah. get a date for it and see some more stuff from High Republic. I think I think the things that were supposed to come out of Star Wars Celebration will come out about when Star Wars Celebration was supposed to be. Yeah. So here's the big question then, because, mm. you know, this is where we like to speculate. Ooh. Since Star Wars movies all got pushed back a year, mm-hmm. will we hear anything about this next film before the year is out? So... My honest guess is no. And the, we might hear a, like a variety report about like, you know, oh, well, well, people close to the issue say that this new Star Wars movie is focusing yeah. on blah, blah, blah. Right. How about just who's making it? Well, I think the thing about it is COVID has really, really messed up the film industry. So it may actually yeah. be they don't know. Yeah. Like all the, you know, as people's movies get delayed, all these schedules mm. that they interlock to get talent from, oh, when you're done with that picture, they're going to do our picture. Then they have another picture after yeah. that. So that's what determines this. All that stuff's getting so screwed up that it may be really hard to actually read the tea leaves and know where your talent is going to be when you want to make your film right now. Yeah. What I would expect you would probably hear about, um, I think sooner than later, is I wouldn't be surprised we, in 2020, hear details of like a one paragraph details of like coming fall 2021 the kenobi series will focus on yeah because i feel that's closer to getting done because even though you mcgregor may not have filmed anything i feel like pre-production was well underway by the time we learned that was a thing yeah um but we'll see i hope so i mean i'm looking forward to it more star wars is good star wars I feel that it would be very good if it's not just more high Republic information. I feel it will make a lot of sense of they will. I think after Mandalorian starts going, give us some sense of continuity of the next big star Wars thing to look forward to. And maybe that is the high Republic. It may just be that. Yeah. But if not, I feel, I feel Disney will throw us a bone about something to hope for at that point where we should be getting some more info. What's on the next horizon for sure. So we'll get there. We will. Sooner than we think. Uh, Yeah, I'm ready for it. All right. I'm ready for 2020 to be over. I'm very ready for that. (laughs) All right. And with that, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.